would, turn with me to the book of Genesis, to the book of Genesis in chapter 31. This evening we're looking at Jacob's great escape from the clutches of his wicked uncle Laban. This man has used Jacob. This man has abused Jacob. Laban has dealt with his own family in self-serving and thoughtless ways. Laban is more powerful than Jacob because he is surrounded by kinsmen who are attached to him and willing to fight for him. Jacob is far away from his family, his father's house. Jacob's decision to flee is a dangerous decision. But Jacob acts in obedience to God, and God delivers Jacob from the hands of Laban. So let's dive into this chapter together. I want to begin by looking at verses 1 through 3, where we read this. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. The sin of envy shows itself again. Laban's sons look at all the wealth that Jacob has gained and they begin to be jealous of Jacob's wealth. It may have felt to them as though Jacob was stealing their inheritance. And it isn't that Jacob has been doing anything dishonest. It's God who's causing the animals to to bear speckled young and spotted young. But now hostility is beginning to build up in the heart of Laban's sons against Jacob. And Laban's heart is changing too. Laban has wanted Jacob around because through Jacob, he was getting rich. Laban had divined that God was blessing him because of Jacob. But over these last six years, under this new contract that we talked about this morning, things have begun to change. Laban keeps adjusting Jacob's wages, trying to get as much for himself as he can, but God keeps blessing Jacob and not Laban. Jacob is now becoming rich. Laban is becoming poorer. And Laban's beginning to think that having Jacob around isn't as good an idea as he once thought it was. So things are getting awkward. Bitterness is, is building up in these men's hearts. And it may not be safe for Jacob to stick around much longer. You see, envy leads to worse sins. All sin seeks to take us on a a downward spiral. You've heard the saying, give Satan an inch and he'll take a mile. Let your heart give in to envy. Bitterness will not be far behind. You keep walking that path and violence will be the result. So the Lord appears to Jacob and informs him, it's time to go. You need to leave this place. He is to return to Canaan, to the land of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. 
But of course, this move is going to be a very big deal for, for Leah and for Rachel. They've, this is their home where they've been their entire lives. Now they're going to be following their husband to a place that will be very strange for them. They'll be leaving their father's house. And so in verses 4 through 16, we find Jacob coming to his wives and explaining to them that it's time to go. How will they respond? Will they be willing to go with their husband or will they be resistant wanting to stay with their father? Let's see. Look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that made it with the flocks were striped, spotted, and mottled. And then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Now there's a lot that we could focus on in those verses. Um, For example, we could look at, at Jacob's work ethic. Right? He, he served Laban, a very wicked boss, and yet he served him with all his strength. He was willing to give his all and strive for excellence in his work, not because his boss deserved such service, but because it was right. Jacob says to Leah and Rachel, I served your father with all my strength. Jacob knew that God was watching out for him. That God would make things right in the end. And so even though he was working for a wicked man, he worked as though working for the Lord. And the question I would ask us is this. Do we have a similar kind of work ethic? Are we willing to give our very best in whatever callings God has placed upon our lives? Are we willing to give our very best for the glory of God? Colossians 3, 23-25 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. In other words, don't think that having a wicked boss 
means that you should take revenge by not working hard for Him. Let God take care of the judging. You work unto the Lord. The Lord will see that you are properly rewarded. The Lord is fair and just. The main thing that I want us to see in these verses, however, is how Laban's wicked acts have turned his own daughters against him. They've lost respect for their father. His greed, Laban's greed, has destroyed his relationship with his daughters. Leah and Rachel do not get along. And yet here is one thing they both agree upon. They're willing to leave their father. They're willing to go far away from him. I think the implication for us is clear. Yes, the love of money and the love of possessions can destroy your soul. And that's a huge reason to flee greed. But the love of money and the love of possessions can also destroy your family. And it can also destroy your closest relationships. The people you love most, the people who are dear to your heart, can be driven away by your love of wealth. When greed gets a hold of someone's heart, they are willing to do the most base and abusive things in order to gain more. They're willing to take advantage of others. They're willing to sink to new lows. They make decisions that, that hurt the very ones that they love. It's like the man with a gambling problem who, in the heat of the moment, gambles away his life savings thinking he can win big. His family is left penniless. We must be aware of this sin of greed. We need to see what it has done in Laban's life and and learn from his error. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6.10 says. How do we fight off greed in our hearts? Well, we fight off greed by cultivating contentment in Christ. Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I know, I have, I'm sorry, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Friends, November and December are quickly approaching. This is when materialism and greed in our culture hits high gear. Day after Thanksgiving sales are coming. Right? During this time of year especially, our hearts are susceptible to the I wants, I wants, and the I gotta haves, I gotta haves. Let us be careful that we rest in Christ and find our contentment in Christ. If we let greed get a hold of us, it will affect both our souls and our relationships with those that we love. And both will suffer consequences. So, the time has come for Jacob and his family to leave. Let's see how it plays out. Look at verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. 
And he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. We're told that that Jacob tricked Laban. He he did not give Laban warning that he was about to leave or allow Laban to, to catch wind of this plan. As we'll see in a few minutes, this was because Jacob feared that Laban would respond violently. By leaving suddenly like this, Laban is unprepared to give chase. In fact, it will be three days before Laban even knows that Jacob and the family are gone. It appears that Jacob has chosen just the right time for he and his family to get as far away as possible before Laban can respond. We're told that Rachel stole her father's gods. These gods were the the household idols that Laban probably kept in his own tent. This is the way that he worshipped his pagan gods, was, was through these idols. Why did Rachel steal her father's idols? Well, there are a lot of reasons that have been proposed, but the one that seems most likely to me is that Rachel stole these gods in order to keep Laban from divining where Jacob and the family were. This was an attempt to keep Laban off of their tracks. We've already seen that Laban has been able to divine things in the past. And what's more, it appears that Jacob takes the family to Canaan in a very unusual route. The route that Jacob takes his family to Canaan on was not the route that most people traveled from Haran to Canaan. And so there seems to be an attempt here to keep Laban as far away as possible, as long as possible. There was a real fear that Laban would respond violently. And so Jacob and his wives um, head on with all the flocks and the servants. And they were right about Laban because he takes hot pursuit. Look at what happens in verse 22. Verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban may not be as wealthy as he once was, but he is still a force to be reckoned with. Laban's kinsmen have joined with him, and they are after Jacob with hostile intentions. From an earthly perspective, Jacob is now in danger. Yet God spoke to Laban in a dream on the very night before he caught up with Jacob. And basically what God said to Laban was this, Be careful what you say to Jacob. I am the God who blessed Jacob, and I am listening to what you say to him. Be on guard. This dream was a a warning to Laban. 
Laban and his kin might be more powerful than Jacob, but they are not more powerful than Jacob's God. It should be a very comforting thing to us to know that God fights for His people. That we have a Lord who is strong and mighty, mighty in battle, and therefore Jacob is safe. So what happens? Laban comes and he catches up with Jacob. What what does their confrontation look like? Let's keep reading. Verse 25. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now first, we must comment on Laban's hypocrisy here. Uh, Laban accuses Jacob of having driven his daughters away like captives of the sword. Is that how Leah and Rachel were brought to Canaan? Were they forced? Were they taken like slaves by Jacob into Canaan? Just the opposite. We've already seen Jacob's conversation with them. They were very willing to go. They had agreed to come. Who was it that had been treating his own family members like captives? It was Laban, who had been doing this for years. What's more, Laban claims that he would have sent Jacob and his family away with mirth and song, with tambourine and lyre. There's a lyre, all right. We've already seen, and we'll see it again in a few verses, Laban would have sent them away empty-handed. Laban is deluded. He's, He's acting like he would have done all of these things when we know he would not have done them. Jacob says that he was afraid that Laban would have tried to take his daughters back by force. Had God not prevented him, that seems to be exactly what Laban was out to do. Here was this foreigner, Jacob, who had come into his home, and now all of Laban's wealth has gone to Jacob. Perhaps at this point, Laban wants Jacob out of his life, but he wants his daughters with him. Maybe he's willing to start all over by finding other men to give his daughters to. Maybe he can obtain another bride price for his daughters and spin that away like he did the last one. That said, we will see later that Laban really is attached to his daughters. And Laban hates the idea of of them being taken away from him. And yet it's a very strange thing that Laban sees himself as the victim. He who has been mistreating people for years feels that he is the one 
who is being mistreated. Church, we need to learn from this. We need to learn how easily we can be deluded. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can know it? Jeremiah says. This is why we need each other. Sin can take such a hold of our hearts that it muddles our vision so that we no longer see things objectively as they really are. We are the ones who need to repent. We are the ones who need to take responsibility for our actions. We are the ones who need to ask forgiveness. Instead, we're pointing the fingers at others, emphasizing all the ways that others have hurt us. Do you ever do that? I would be a better employer, but you haven't seen how my boss treats me. I would be a better citizen, but have you seen how messed up our government is? I would be a better friend to that person, but did you hear the things that she said about me? I would be a a better husband, but how can I when my wife shows me no respect? Or I would be a better wife, but how can I when my husband doesn't appreciate me? What kind of talk is that? This is refusing to deal honestly with ourselves by playing the victim. Maybe what you've said is true, but it doesn't change the fact that you are responsible for you. That Christ has given you everything you need. You have every reason to be satisfied and at peace should every person on planet earth mistreat you. The fact that you have Christ should be enough. What can compare with knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord? And so if you are living in Christ's love, if you are basking in Christ's promises, if you are swimming in His grace, then why are you making excuses for your sin? We are to hate it. We are to turn from it. We are to repent of it. And to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You see, this is one reason why Christians need each other. We need brothers and sisters who who love us enough to give us a shake when we've become deluded. We need brothers and sisters who know how to speak the truth in love to us. Brother, I know you're angry at that person, but, but let's talk about what's happening in your heart. Laban was not a believer. Laban did not have godly people around him. And he was blinded by his sin. He could not see things aright. Jacob is a believer. And Jacob has tried to do things over these last few years with integrity. He told Laban in the last chapter that he wanted his honesty to speak for him. So Jacob has gone to great lengths to make sure that everything that he has taken with him when he goes to Canaan is his. He has not taken anything of Laban's. He doesn't know that Rachel has taken the household gods. In his effort to show his integrity, Jacob declares that whoever is found among his people with Laban's gods, they shall be put to death. This is a rash vow. And it almost came back to hurt Jacob deeply. Friends, we need to be careful that we do not speak hastily, that we do not speak thoughtlessly. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
So we must be very careful. Rash vows can, can bring many consequences that are unforeseen and unexpected. So, the search for Laban's gods begins. Verse 33. Verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot but rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. And I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed." God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Now there are several things going on in these verses and and a lot to note. Let me mention three things. First, notice again the the example of Jacob's work ethic. Uh, In particular, Jacob says that when a wild beast killed animals from Laban's flock, Jacob bore the loss himself. All the, the commentators like to point out that this was far and beyond what was expected of a shepherd. Uh, Jacob for us is an example of the fact that, that we should not only do the work that has been entrusted to us faithfully, but we should be willing to go the extra mile, the extra length. There's a real contrast here in the way that Jacob had treated Laban and the way Laban has been treating Jacob. Second, I want to point out this very unusual name for God in verse 42. It's used again in verse 53. These two verses are the only place in the entire Bible where God is given this name, the fear of Isaac. The fear of Isaac. This could be translated, the awesome one of Isaac, or the one who instills dread of Isaac. The point of this name is that Jacob's God is a God to be reckoned with, a God to be feared Laban had better be careful, for it was this God who told Jacob to leave. Jacob is acting in obedience. It is a dangerous thing to oppose the will of God. And that leads us to the third point I would make, namely, we should note Jacob's confidence here. 
It it almost reminds you of, of Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal. We find Jacob speaking and belittling, almost mocking terms to Laban. This is a bold, fiery speech that Jacob gives to Laban with all of their kinsmen gathered round. This was a public spectacle. Where does Jacob get this confidence? Especially knowing that there are a lot more of Laban and his kinsmen and his life would normally be seen as in danger. Well, Jabin, I'm sorry, Jacob gets this confidence from the knowledge that his God is with him and for him. You, you remember when, when David fought Goliath. Goliath was obviously an opponent much stronger than David. And David declared, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. David's confidence before a much stronger foe was not his own strength, but it was his God. So here, Jacob has already learned that God has spoken to Laban in a dream. And now he invokes the fear of Isaac before Laban. He declares before all of these witnesses the wrongs of Laban over these past 20 years. Laban's sin is now publicly exposed before all. And Jacob is not afraid. It doesn't appear that he is. Because his God is with him. You see the implication for us. Are we not children of God? Has God not promised that He is with us as Christians? Could it be that there are some of us in here who are struggling with fear? Are there any of us who are dealing with with anxiety or stress or despair? Some person in our life has intimidated us and caused us to shake in our boots. Maybe your financial situation has you greatly worried. Could there be a person in your life that needs to hear the Gospel, but you're too afraid to speak to them? Could it be that there is a person in your life that needs you to speak the truth to them in love, but you just can't find the nerve? What is it tonight that that is causing fear in your heart? Dear friends, we need to let the fear in our hearts run away in the face of the fear of Isaac. Know who your God is and know who you are as you rest in Christ. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that arises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Isaiah fifty-four seventeen. Church, Christians are supposed to be a lot of things, but we are never to be a people of fear. We are to have only one fear in our life, and that is the fear of our God. And even that fear is a joyful kind of trembling, a a happy kind of sober-minded reverence. Do not be anxious. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. See how God takes care of them. Know that you are more precious to Him than they are. Christ will not fail you and He is with you. We are to trust Him. We are to obey Him. We are to follow Him. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Joshua 1, 9. And so it seems to me that as we see Jacob standing up and giving this radical, fiery speech to Laban in the midst of people surrounding him who, who could kill him, what we see is a man whose confidence is in the Lord, his God. Is that us? Do we have confidence in the Lord, our God? And does it affect the way we live? Humbled, Laban seeks to make peace with Jacob. We've, we've seen this pattern before. Abimelech and the Philistines of Gerar, at first they were hostile towards Abraham. But when it became very clear that God was on Abraham's side, they sought to make peace with him. Same thing happened with Isaac and probably the original Abimelech's son Abimelech and the Philistines of Gerar. They attacked Isaac. They were hostile towards Isaac. They were fighting over wells. But the more God blessed Isaac, the more they came to a place where they realized we need to make peace with this guy. That's what they did. Well, now in Jacob's life, it happens with Laban. Laban can take Jacob, but he cannot take Jacob's God. And he's been warned. And so his option now is to make peace, a covenant of peace. And that's what he does. So let's finish the chapter. Let's look at verses 43 through 55. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for these children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mitzpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. This treaty, this covenant of peace that Laban makes with Jacob, it it was a typical peace treaty in the ancient world. Everything happens in pairs. There are two stone monuments to mark the treaty. And there are two names for the monuments, a a name given by Laban and a name given by Jacob. There are two meals that are eaten together in the treaty process, one at the beginning and one at the end. 
the treaty has two provisions, that Jacob will not oppress Laban's daughters and that Jacob and Laban will observe this, this tribal boundary that is being established and will not cross this, this line to harm one another. Finally, two gods are called upon to monitor the treaty. Laban calls upon the god of Nahor. Jacob calls upon the true god, Yahweh. So after this peace treaty has been established, Laban and his kinsmen return home. Now as we think about this chapter, we cannot help but see the justice and the righteousness of God in what has taken place. Laban acted deceptively and cruelly in order to achieve great wealth. And in the end, the ones he treated so poorly walked away with the wealth he had hoped would be his. It's a reminder to us that ultimately, in the end, sin does not pay. It never does. In the end, our sins do catch up with us and consequences come because God is a fair judge and God sees all. Therefore, Laban reaps what he has sown. The other thing we must note is that all of these things happened in the providence of God. And these things happen as a picture of the future. There is, there is prophecy taking place in Genesis 31. As we saw this morning, things happened in the life of Israel the man, Jacob, which pointed to things that were going to happen in Israel the ancient nation, which ultimately pointed to things that were going to happen in the true Israel, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls Jacob to end his service to Laban and to flee. God calls Israel to leave their slavery in Egypt and to flee. When Jacob leaves Laban, he takes the wealth of Laban with him. When Israel leaves Egypt, they take the plunder of the Egyptians with them. When Jacob and his family leave for Canaan, they're chased down by Laban. When Israel leaves for Egypt, they're chased down by the Egyptians. When Laban catches Jacob to do him harm, it is divine intervention that saves Jacob. When Pharaoh and the Egyptians catch Israel to do them harm, it is divine intervention that saves them. And all of this is pointing to us, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called out of this world. We're in it, but not of it. And now our lives are, as Christians, is, it's a pilgrimage to Canaan. It's a pilgrimage to, to the, the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. We are seeking now for the rest of our lives till the day we die or Christ comes back. We are running our race towards Canaan even while we are being chased and, and surrounded by superior forces. The world outnumbers us. Temptations seek to overpower us. Satan and his forces are against us. If God does not deliver us, we won't make it to Canaan. But God does deliver His people. He sustains our faith day after day. He, he keeps our souls alive against incredible odds. When the last day comes, we will have the wealth of this world. 
All that once belonged to unbelieving humanity will belong to the church. The wicked will have lost everything. The church will have come into Canaan. The meek will inherit the earth. In other words, this story of what happens with Jacob, which is then repeated with ancient Israel, is the story of us. The story that we are experiencing. It's the story of how sinners like you and I have been mercifully saved by God. He's broken into our lives. He's won our trust. And now He's bringing us out of our former slavery to sin into the promised land. Folks, we are the most blessed people in the world. And we're heading towards even greater blessing. We should be humbled. And we should be thankful. And our hearts should be overflowing with joy and love. Are they? Is that happening in your life? Do do you see yourself in this story? Do you feel this way? Let's trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's follow Him. He will be faithful just as He did with Jacob, just as He did with the nation of Israel. He will deliver us and He will bring us safely home. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.